going. And so you ought to look forward to that place. And we need to start mentally getting ourselves there. And so whenever the Lord calls us, we are ready to answer. And for the child of God, we don't fear death. We recognize death just opens up another door so we can get to our ultimate destination. And I long for the day when we are more excited about heaven going there than we are excited about singing. About you guys know how you guys carry on when we sing, heaven is on the other side, oh, I want to see him, I got a mansion robe and crown, you'll tear the roof off this place. But then we talk about dying so we can go there. You know how you all do. Uh, but I just hope that you, 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 you go deeper in your faith and, and you begin to understand the blessing that is associated with that. Again, it is good to look out and see all of you who are here for our 11 a.m. worship here at the Bedford Street Church of Christ. I hope you uh, came today with an open mind. I hope you came with an air of excitement uh, with you. You brought some excitement, not some depression up in here. And I hope you brought a copy of the Word of God with you. Let me just go old school. If you got one, just, just raise it up here. Now make, now, make sure you're raising up a Bible, not a songbook. Okay, some of these covers look red and orange like our songbooks. Okay, all right. All right. So at, at least you got, you got a tool with you uh, that's going to help you as we navigate this lesson this morning. We've been talking about for the last several weeks about going deeper in our faith. Uh, because we need to rise above the level of mediocrity that exists in Christendom today. We need to rise above just being satisfied that I came to a Sunday morning worship and that worship is not transforming enough so that I go out and live for Jesus. Uh, we, we, need, we need to get to the point where we begin to recognize I am a Christian away from the building, just like I am at the building, but recognize we are away from the building more than we are at the building. So our Christianity is lived out away from here. It's lived out in the communities that we live in. It's lived out on the jobs that you go to. It's lived out in the schools that many of our children attend. And it's lived out in the neighborhoods where we reside. And so as we take our faith on seriously, serious, it, it, it permeates every day of the week. And you don't have to go out bragging about you're a Christian. Folks see it. They, they see something different about you. And, and, and then you then have the opportunity to share your faith with people. Because when everybody else is falling apart, you're remaining calm. Folks want to know, why you come? You know, the whole department is about to get laid off and you got a smile on your face. They don't know that you know, you know God and they don't know that you know God has a better job for you. Not another job, but a better job. You guys do believe that, right? If everybody else in the department gets laid off, or, okay, let me see. If everybody else in the department gets fired, you, you, you do believe God has a better job for you, right? And so you don't whine and complain. You just trust him. And you're patient enough to wait on him. Now, that doesn't mean you don't interview for a job. You know, that doesn't, you, know, you got to prepare uh, for an interview. You got to fill out an application and all that kind of stuff. But you know God's, God, God's going to take care of you. I want to use this morning as a subject, a deeper look at Scripture. A deeper look at Scripture. And I want to say we need to go deeper in our looking and our researching and our studying the Scriptures. We need to go further than just a superficial reading of the passage and then start talking about what I think it means. We need to get to the point where we dive into this, where we invest the kind of time and effort that it takes to really understand Scripture. And we get to the point where we love doing that, that we don't just do that because somebody asks us a, a Bible question. It's just we, we are students of Scripture. Like some of you are students of uh, the, the sports team that you like. You know everybody on the team. You know all their percentages and stuff like that. I don't, stuff like that doesn't make any sense to me. But I know there are those of you who are sports enthusiasts. 
And the list goes on about whatever is valuable to you. You invest the time to learn as much about that as you possibly can. We need to get to the point where we have that same kind of dedication and we bring it to the scriptures. Because after all, it is the scriptures that helps us to understand how we ought to live as a Christian. You don't know how to live as a Christian when you've never been a Christian before. Right. You gotta learn that. And we learn it from reading what God has said. Amen. And too many of us, we bring our worldly lifestyle and our worldly ideas into Christianity. And that's why we struggle. And that's why we have conflict. And that's why we can never seem to get to where we think we ought to go. I need for you to understand, you and I ought to want to go where God wants us to go. And God wants us to grow in our faith. He wants us to be strong Christian men and women. He wants us to be soldiers of the cross, not just Sunday morning attendees. He wants us to be equipped. And if you remember, one of the things that was said in the reading is that the word of God will thoroughly equip us. And when the word of God equips us, you got your backpack. Yes, sir. And you got your backpack with something of, of value in it. Amen. It seems like today everybody has a backpack when you, when you go to places with stuff in it. Let's start putting some spiritual stuff in our backpacks. So look with me again at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and the verses of 14 and 15. The Bible says, but you... And the you here is Timothy. The Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. Paul says, but you, Timothy, must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. A deeper look at scripture. And so in our text, as, as Paul talks about deeper look at scripture in the latter part of the verses, he has to say something to remind Timothy of how he has gotten to where he is. And you'll see that in a moment. As I prepare for the introduction here, let me remind us that the world values its opinion over the word of God. If you've ever had a, a casual conversation on your job with people about spiritual things, uh, you try to share with them some biblical insight that you have, they will come back at you with something that's completely foreign from what God has said, completely foreign from Scripture. And what that helps you to understand and it reminds you is that, is that for people who are of the world, who have no allegiance to God, they have no idea about the principles of Scripture. Which is why those of us who have been called to be light, who have been called to be salt, must live up to those responsibilities. Because we are around on a daily basis people who are in spiritual darkness. Uh, we are around people uh, every day who are rotting and literally on their way to hell. And, and, and the only thing that stands in their way of not knowing or knowing the scriptures is us. So that's a weighty responsibility that is on our shoulders. And for some of us, we have been neglecting that responsibility, thinking, well, somebody else will do it. Well, I got news for you. That somebody else is you. And so if we're not walking epistles, living epistles, uh, where people can look at us and get information on how to be pleasing to God, where are they going to get it from? So silence is not an option when you know what the word of God has to say. Because you begin to see people who are out struggling in spiritual darkness, they need the light of the word of God to bring them into a closer relationship with him. So consequently, since the world does not have a high view of scripture and the word of God, we must. 
Unfortunately, many Christians don't have a high view of Scripture, which is why we're not living the kind of lives God has called us to. We're settling for anything and anybody in our relationships. We will sell out to a job just because it gives us a few more dollars, even though it is going to prohibit us from coming to worship service. We don't care that many of the folk we love to hang out with are ungodly, and they have an ungodly influence on our character. And when we would want to do spiritual things to socialize with them, they have no interest in it. But when they want to do ungodly stuff, you jump in at the bits to go with them. We need to honor what God has said in his word. No Christian ought to be supporting gay marriage. And some of you support gay marriage. I, I challenge you, you need to check the scriptures. I didn't say you reject people. All have sinned, the homosexual as well as you, and fallen short. And everybody can be forgiven, but you got to come to repentance. You're not going to be forgiven if you don't repent of something. So you and I cannot accept gay marriage. You and I, I should not be upset because the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade. You ought to be happy that women are not just killing babies. And it's not about their choice. God has already spoken on it. You don't have a choice when God has spoken. But we elevate our opinions and our thoughts over what God has said. You ought to be happy if the casinos were shut down and, and the lottery was shut down. It's all ungodliness. So if, what's the place over, over Everett? What, what's the name? Encore. Encore. If Encore got shut down, you ought not be crying. Now, I'm afraid to ask how many of us have been at Encore. I'm afraid to ask. I'm not going to ask. But you and I need to have a high value of what the word of God says. The Bible reminds us that God created the male and female. So from a biblical perspective, there are only two sexes. You're either a male or you're female. You don't get to pick what you are. You don't get to be this one day and something else the next day. That's what the world has said. And many of us buy into what the world, I understand on your job, you got to deal with certain policies and stuff like that. But you don't, there's some things you need to tell your supervisor, I just can't get with this. Now, I'm not going to disrespect my coworkers who are going this way, but don't expect me to call a he a she or a she a he. Now, you got to have some convictions to be able to do that. Because we know, well, what about my job? Well, what about your God? What, what, what about your God? And for far too long, we have put our happiness, our convenience over, uh, over recognizing and standing with God. And that's why all this stuff just keep on happening and happening, because we just go along with it like the ungodly masses do. And they want to come up here and want to pray about it. But, but all week long, you... you, you You ought not be at a gay marriage. I know some of you got uh, gay kinfolk. You got gay friends. I do too. But I'm not going to their marriage. And I'm not going to the marriage. I'm not getting them a wedding gift. I'm not sending them a wedding card. I believe that's sin. So I can't backdoor it or give it acceptance. See, unlike the politicians who, change, who have changed their opinion about homosexuality when their children came out gay and stuff like that. Uh, if I had a child who was gay, I'm not changing my view on it. And I'm going to love my child. But you need to recognize I'm not accepting that lifestyle and they can't bring it up in my house. So we need to have a higher view of scripture than what the world does. But the reality is, that's what we should have always done. So there's nothing new. But if we don't read and study scripture, we're not going to know what God has said, and so we will accept whatever the world offers. And I know some of you say, well, that's hard what you just said, and that's insensitive. No, it's biblical. Amen. 
And God said it long before I said it. So I'm standing in good company saying it. And you all want to line up and say it the, the same. I was looking up some stuff uh, this week. And what I came across is this, this uh, stat. It said the average Christian studies their Bible ab- approximately 35 minutes in a day. Now, 35 minutes in a day is not a whole lot of time if you're doing Bible study. And probably, that ought to probably say they may read their Bible for 35 minutes. That's more in line with what people are doing, is not studying. But, but I thought about that 35 minutes a day, that's not a whole lot of time. And then we wonder why it is we don't stand with Scripture. 35 minutes a day is not going to give you enough time to really read and understand scripture so that you are equipped to deal with things from God's perspective. So let me ask this question, and you can answer it between you and God in your seat. How much time do you spend in the word each day? Don't answer out loud. You and God are the only ones who need to know that. How much time each day do you spend in the word? And then I'll extend that. How much time during the week do you spend in the Word? I don't have to know your answer, but what I do know is we spend more time on our hobbies and personal preferences than we do on the Word of God. Which is why many of us don't want to teach a Bible class. Uh, We don't want to have any Bible discussions because we know we're ignorant of the Word of God. And rather than own that and do something about it, we just cover up. The problem is, that's not what God wants you. When are we going to be concerned with what God wants and not just what we want? Because that's what the world is focused on, what the world wants, not what God wants. I believe that if more of us read and studied our Bibles, if more of us stood with scripture the way God wants us to, we can turn any city upside down. We can turn a state upside down. Our buildings will be full of folk who want to know more about God if we just start doing what we're doing, what we should be doing. And not assuming, well, somebody else is gonna do that. Well, I'll eventually get around to that when I have more time in my schedule. Or when, you know, uh, you know when, when I go on vacation and, and do this, then I'll come back refreshed and renewed. That all this lies. Because it starts with a personal conviction. And too many times when it comes to Christianity, we want other folk to to go along with me. And we won't do what we know is right to do unless we have company. Problem is that we don't understand you already got company. His name is Jesus. And if we read scripture, we'd recognize he's always with us. So even when other folk aren't with you, Jesus is with you. Paul, in our text, verse number 14, reminds Timothy, you got to continue doing what you have been taught. So we meet Timothy in Acts chapter 16. Uh, Paul meets him, and and Paul sees something special and different about Timothy. He's a young disciple. Paul uh, has Timothy to go along with him on his missionary journeys. But what we learn from that text is that Timothy was recognized even as a youngster by the church leaders in the community that he was a part of. He was, he was already a Christian. And he had much respect from the Christians in that area. You don't have to be 20, 30, 40 to have respect from other Christians. You need to live right. You need to be an example of godliness. And people wouldn't notice that. Our problem is... <clears throat> Unfortunately, we don't have many examples of walking godliness. We don't have many. Nobody wants to be a role model. Nobody wants to be an example. I don't want to be out there because folks are going to look at my life. They're supposed to look at your life. We're looking at your life even when you don't want to be an example. When we look at Verse number 14, continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, 
knowing from whom you have learned them. Timothy was born into a Christian family. Chapter 1, 5, and 6 will remind us of his grandmother and his mother that Paul reminds us, you, you have the faith that was in those two sisters. So imagine if our children were growing up in homes where the faith of their parents were front and center. And so the children were exposed to that on a regular basis because that's just what was done in our house. And then imagine if they were exposed to it from a small child because that's what we learn about Timothy. Timothy's mother and grandmother did this with him when he was a little, little boy. See, you can't wait until they are teenager or preteen and do this and think you're going to get much progress from them. It's not going to happen. We miss the formative years of our children when they are four and five and six years old being selfish about what we want to do. And so their spiritual uh, potential is crushed because we don't have time for them and we don't have time to invest in getting them to Bible class. We don't have time in teaching them the Bible at home ourselves. I think we need to remember, if you are a parent, you are your child's first teacher. And so the parent, we have been called to teach our children the fundamentals of the faith. You got them seven days a week. You, you do know they're living in your house seven days a week, eating up all your food. So instead of letting them play on the internet, Xbox and all this other fancy stuff and giving them cell phones when they're four, five, and six years old. Give them some Jesus. Give them some Jesus and then learn how to disconnect at a certain point in the day instead of letting your children be slaves to electronics. And you use electronics as a babysitter for your children while you do what you want to do. You need to consider what you're raising. Paul tells Timothy, you need to continue in what you have learned and been assured of. It is a command. So imagine raising a young boy or a young girl in a godly home. And they're seeing mom and dad study the scriptures and mom and dad is taking them to church service on a regular basis. And mom and dad is, is getting them involved in youth related activities at the church building where the spiritual things are front and center. And they're not so caught up in all the extracurricular activities at the school building. Mm hmm. Because we will place more time and attention on the extracurricular activities at school and your children is a non-Christian. And it doesn't bother us that our children is non-Christian. We just assume there'll be time later. Do you know how many bus crashes and other things that go on with children involved in athletics and going from this place to the other for some academic uh, activity with some club. And if you really focus on that, then you, 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 you want to come and make sure your child is in a safe, thing, a safe relationship with Jesus. He says, continue. The, the idea is if they continue, your children will develop strong conviction about the non-negotiable things of our faith. There are just some things that are non-negotiable. You don't compromise with folk on them. And, and we need to help our children understand that. For example, we're not compromising. You're not missing worship service because you didn't do your homework and we got to try and get it done uh, because it's due on Monday. And you knew on Friday that this stuff was due on Monday. Or, or we're not missing worship service because your child had a project that they had two weeks to work on. And they let you know on Saturday night what you're going to do. See, if our children have strong convictions when they're young, that's just going to continue throughout their life. And some of the things that we worry about them getting caught up in, it lessens the likelihood that they're going to get caught up in those things if we have trained them while they were younger. And then Paul reminds Timothy in this verse, you need to remember who you learn these things from. So he reminds you, you need to think about your past teachers. 
all of us have had people who've been in our life who have added to our spirituality by the teachings that they've given us or the example uh, that they have set before us or the counsel that they've given to us. Every now and then you need to reflect back on that and be grateful that God placed those people in your life and be grateful that there's still a connection with them so that those people are still investing in you spiritually. Because there comes a time where you have problems, you have issues, and you need folk to talk to who can give you godly advice. Not just advice, godly advice. And it's just helpful to know you've got a large group of men and women who poured into your life. Now imagine if your mama and daddy and grandparents did that then it's gonna make it very, a lot easier to, to talk to them about some of the struggles that you're being confronted with. Because that relationship was developed over the course of time as they're just teaching you. Any parents ever uh, uh, have these teachable moments when you're in the car with your children and, and something happens on the freeway or some person does something crazy in their car and you point that out to your children there? Okay, yeah, yes, you, you parents don't ride with your children in the car. Are you, okay, you're at home watching TV, and, and somebody says something or does something, somebody treats a person another way, and at that moment, you bring this to your child's attention. Yeah. You see, this is what we were talking about last week. This is what the sermon was on. This is what the Bible lesson was on. And you have an opportunity to remind them of how practical the information is that you've been sharing with them. Yeah. Timothy was blessed to be born in a Christian home. Many of you were not born in a Christian home. That doesn't mean you can't become a Christian later in life. It just means that some of the advantages that children have who grew up in a Christian home have, you don't have. And, and I need to say this for, for those of you who've been born in a Christian home and this is all you've ever known, don't take it for granted. Because the tendency is, well, this is what I've known. I just got to see what these other folk are doing over here. All that glitters is not gold. You don't have to experience, you don't have to go to the hog pen to know what hogs smell like. And so when a person is born in a non-Christian home, uh, the concept of faith is not there. The concept of biblical convictions is not there. And someone, God has to send someone to help them to begin to understand this. Some of you in the audience did not grow up in a Church of Christ home, yet somewhere along the way you met Christ. Somebody cared enough to teach you the gospel and, and that put you on the right road. And every now and then you ought to look at where you were before that happened and where you are now that you have obeyed the gospel. And you can see right then and there God has blessed you. You can see right then and there that you're in a better situation than you were before. It may not feel better. Uh, you may have a whole lot of challenges that are going on with you. But spiritually, you're in a much better place. Absolutely. Now, I also need to say that the person who is not born, the person who's born in a non-Christian home is going to be more challenging to convert. Because yeah. all of the stuff you have taken for granted that you know they don't know. And the tendency is for us not to be patient with Pope. Well, you ought to know this. Well, but if they've never been exposed to it, they don't know it. And we're quick to write people off instead of understanding their home life. Their upbringing was not like yours. You had the benefit of somebody teaching you and bringing you to Bible class and all that. They didn't. Now, if we believe the scriptures, God sent you to that person to help them. And you need to see, he sent you there to help them. And one of the things he's going to give you is patience in dealing with the people. Because they are not where you are. There are too many church folk who have no patience with teaching people the gospel. Have no patience with people maturing in the faith. You want people to be where you are. And you forget for the first 15 years of your so-called being a member of the church, you weren't faithful. You just showed up. 
And so cut them some slack, just like God gave you some slack. If we, have, if we have them in the right place and they've been exposed to the right teaching, they will mature. It's just going to take some time. Just like the lesson I did last week about making disciples. That's a process. It doesn't happen instantaneous. So, so Timothy was, had to be reminded of where he came from. And he had to be reminded to continue to do what you have been learning. And then he reminds in verse number 15 that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in the Scriptures. You want to be saved? You want to come get to know Jesus? It's going to be done through the Scriptures. That's why we got to go deeper in the Scriptures so that we can teach people about Jesus and the Gospel. You teach them that based on what the Scripture says, not on your opinion. So Timothy learned the scriptures from his family. Timothy came to faith at a young age. He was a Christian at a young age. Folk don't have to be late teens, early 20s to become a Christian. Your eight, nine, 10 year old can become a Christian. If you have brought them up in this, this is all they know. Then about eight, nine, or ten, they're going to want to know why can't I be baptized? Why can't I take communion like everybody else does? And it gives you an opportunity right then to teach them. And if you brought them up in the right environment where they've been, learned, been taught the word of God, you will be surprised that they know a whole lot more than you think they know. Right. And then the challenge is going to be, now what are you going to do? Your child knows enough to become a Christian. But you're lazy in your Christianity. If I get my child baptized, that means I got to straighten up. Because I got to, first of all, bring my child to Bible class. And I don't want to come to Bible class. And so parents, stop messing up your children's spirituality because you're lazy spiritually. We're crippling them before they even get into adulthood. Because bringing them to the spiritual environment is inconvenient for us. And then you wonder, when, you, when your daughter gets pregnant uh, at, at an early age, uh, and... Uh, your son gets strung out on drugs or locked up in jail. You, you, want, you want the church to stop everything now to go help your child. And you won't confess that I didn't do what I should have done with them. That's why they're in the situation they're in. Uh, unless some of you older parents think I'm just referring to just the younger people. You older parents, where are your children? Why aren't they here in worship service? Why aren't they attending church service? And so you need to recognize this is why this, this generational stuff just keeps on happening. We get so caught up in where we are, we, we leave collateral damages our children. My first ministry responsibility is to my family. Then you all. I think you don't understand that. Your first ministry responsibility is to your family. And then these committees and ministries that you're on. Because we'll be the star on a committee and ministry and all your family is lost. And you won't feel bad about it at all. You come up with your chest all poked out because I'm leader of this ministry, I'm on this ministry. But where's your family? We need some family ministry here where families are engaged in service together. And the reason we don't have that is that we're not all on the same page in the family. Now, a child you're bringing up ought to be on the same page with you. You can't make this grown adult that you're married to be on the same page with you, but your children ought to be. Parents. I assume you're the leader of your home, parents, not your children. Parents? Mm-hmm. That's part of our problem. So Timothy came of age as a young child. Timothy was taught about Jesus and salvation from the Old Testament. Did you, you guys hear me? He was taught about salvation from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is something in our contemporary church we don't even want to talk about. We don't even want to study it because it's too hard. Timothy came to faith based on his mother and grandmother teaching him Old Testament scripture. And then one of the other things I discovered as I was 
researching this lesson, is that you don't read a Paul ever having to correct Timothy doctrinally. Now, he says some things about Timothy, don't be a coward. You know, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Uh, he told Timothy about how to deal with older people, younger people, and things like that. But he didn't correct him based on Timothy not having or understanding right doctrine. Part of the reason I believe that is the case is that Timothy was taught doctrine from being a small child on up. And so our children are likely to make less mistakes in their personal lives or in their spiritual lives if we have done what we ought to do in bringing them up. You guys remember, train them up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart. Now, I understand that's a probability. It doesn't mean it's going to work with every child. But you need to be honest if you even tried with yours. Did, did you try to do this? Or were you just too absorbed in your life? And just time just got away from you, and before you knew it, uh, they were 15 years old. And you now recognize, I can't get them to do anything now. Well, you need to recognize the reason you can't is because you didn't do it earlier. You've got to pray now. But Paul never had to correct Timothy. <clears throat> so one of the things I've noticed in, in church settings is people who are mature in the faith, you have very few problems out of them folk. Folk who are immature, who don't study the Bible, who don't regularly worship, all kind of problems going on in their life. Not just church problems, personal problems. They don't even know how to budget right. And they blame everybody for their problems except themselves. So there comes a point where you've got to own the choices, the decisions that you have made. They were anti-biblical. Folk tried to counsel you. Folk told you don't marry him, don't marry her. You just said, I'm going to do what I want to do. Uh, folk told you that job is not for you. You, you went on it anyways. And, and so, again, Scripture, based on Timothy's example, will help us give us directions toward salvation. So that's why we need to expose our children to the Scriptures as early as possible. So instead of all the toys that you get your children, get them a nice, easy-read Bible that has some pictures in it, especially those that can't read yet. You get those picture Bibles that teach them the stories. Give them some things that will increase, add to their faith. And then every now and then give them some of that other stuff. But make sure the spiritual stuff is front and center. Luke chapter 8. Okay, I need to get moving. Time's getting by. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. In Luke chapter 8, we have the parable of the sower. Luke chapter 8, 4 through 12. And when, a great multitude, and when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they, have, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a little while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they had heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. 
That parable helps us to begin to understand the different hearts of the people we deal with. It also helps you to understand why with some people, some things take in their lives and some things don't. It helps you to understand how a person who appears uh, to be committed to God uh, can all of a sudden not be committed. It's about how deep the roots are in Scripture. The power is in the word of God. It's in the seed. And we will come to church service and want to change outward behavior, but we haven't changed the inside. So we can change folk thinking, then the outside will come along. But you're trying to tell people how they ought to dress and what time they ought to get here and all that kind of stuff. But if the inside doesn't change where this is important to them, they will do that for a little while and then go back to what they were doing. Because they never saw the benefit or they were never convicted that they need to do this. Let alone the the fact that Satan is going to get after them. And so that's why when people become a Christian, you really have to think about who your friends are going to be. Who your friends were may not be the folk that need to be your friends moving forward. Places you used to go, activities you used to do, and that you had fun and enjoyment. You now need to rethink that. I'm a child of God. Uh, Can I go to these places in comfort and not feel guilty about going there? See, the interesting, the devil will lead you there. And then when you come to church services on Sunday and the preacher starts preaching real life stuff, now you're sitting there with your head hung down, feeling all guilty and ashamed, but you won't confess your wrongdoing. And and instead of getting right with God, you start sitting further and further back in the the church building and eventually you don't show up. Instead of dealing with your mess that you created. And it starts with, what is the condition of my heart? And parents who have multiple children, you know, uh, all your children are different. Some of those jokes, you almost had to strangle to get them to do right. And others, because they were so sensitive, if you breathe on them hard, they're about to fall apart. And so the same thing happens with people who are part of the congregation. Some of us are going to do right because that's what the word says. Some of us, we're only going to do right if somebody doesn't get on us and remind us about that. And then others of us are just going to ease on out of here. Because we're going to see, I didn't sign up for this. That cost is too high. That's why you need to get involved in the scriptures. Come to love them and follow what scripture says. If we read and study our Bible, we won't be surprised at what discipleship and what the cost of following Jesus is. There is a cost. And folks need to stop lying and act like, well, if you become a Christian, everything's going to be easy in your life. No, it isn't. It's going to be harder because now you've got to deal with your fleshly desires and follow what Jesus has said that you can only do once you're following the Spirit. And so there's that constant war going on in you. I know what the Bible says, and I want to do it, but my flesh... And so what you then need to do is you need to be surrounded by folk who are trying to walk like Jesus walked, which is why your non-Christian friends can't help you to be spiritual. You need to have some conversation with some spiritual folk. Now, they're going to tell you some things that are probably going to hurt your feelings because your spiritual advisors are not going to be concerned about whether or not you like it. They're going to be concerned about your understanding what the word of God has to say. Now, let's get back to Timothy. (laughs) And and so, having said, you know, remind him, you've known the scriptures, you were a small child. Uh, They're able to make you wise to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Scriptures will bring us to faith in Jesus. He then says, all scripture, in verse number 16, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and all scripture has value is beneficial. Even the scriptures you don't like, the ones you don't want to hear preached on, the ones in the Old Testament, they all have value. And when we get our attitude right, we can appreciate a sermon from the Old Testament just like we can appreciate a sermon from the New Testament because there will be principles in the Old Testament that can bless your life. 
So he says all scripture is inspired. All scripture comes from the mouth of God. When we read and study scripture, we're literally reading and studying God's words. It ought to matter to you what God says. In the world we live in, what other folks, other folks say has more value, which is why the laws that are made in our society and the choices that people make are so prevalent. If they really understood what God said and if they reverenced him, things would be a whole lot different. So all scripture comes ultimately from God. It originates from God. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 reminds us that the men who wrote the scriptures only wrote down what God let them to write down. And we, you always get these conversations where the Bible is a white man's book and, and the man wrote the Bible. And all. No, God wrote the Bible. He inspired. He gave the word to the men who penned it. But scripture starts in the mind of God, not in the mind of that person. Scripture is not secondary to our opinion. So we don't read scripture and then say, but. Uh, we don't read scripture and then say, but, but I'm still going to do, or I like, and all that. No, when you read scripture, you understand that it is, what did God say? What, what, what did God say? What, what did he command us to do? What did he tell us what to do? And you got to have a mindset that values scripture that much. And you got to have friendships with folks who remind you, you can't forsake the assembly of God just because you stayed out late on Saturday night. You can't forsake the assembly of God, assembly of God simply because uh, it's cold or there's a threat of snow. No snow has fallen. It's just the weatherman said it's going to snow. Now, come on, these last three or four storms that we've had, the weatherman gave, well, terrified some of you. But look at what happened. Nothing. Nothing. And you were hoping we were going to cancel services because of that. Scripture has to be priority. Scripture has to be priority. And it has to be priority in every aspect of my life. So if I understand how God wants a Christian employee to work, that's how I work when I go to my job. And it doesn't matter if my supervisor is not a Christian. I'm ultimately working for God. If you are a Christian employer, uh, you, don't, you don't expect more out of your Christian employee than you do anybody else. You treat him or her fair. But you treat them the way God wants them treated. So scripture should be respected. Scripture should be respected by preachers, by teachers, and by the average Christian. The preacher has to have some integrity about what he preaches and teaches. And it can't be his opinion. It has to be what the word of God says. And you let the chips fall where they fall. And folk who've been reading and studying scripture are not going to get mad at you like some of you do every now and then. Get mad at me because I preached this sermon. It's in the Bible. I didn't write the Bible. And I'm not picking and choosing uh, passages that you're going to like. Because we need the whole counsel of God. The stuff you don't like, you need to hear that more than the stuff you like. If you are a Bible class teacher, don't be wasting time in your Bible class talking about stuff that's not biblical. And stop these people who want to run on tangents and take 20 minutes to talk about something that is not essential to what we're supposed to be talking about. It happens in almost everybody, especially on the adult level. Because I've said in some of them, and, and, and the teacher will make an illustration to prove a point. Now, everybody want to talk about the illustration instead of the Bible principle we're talking about. Well, you know, I agree with you, preacher or teacher, because, and then before you know that, then somebody else is going to come and do that 15, 20 minutes wasted on something that you only intended to take two minutes talking about. Because we'd rather talk about the illustration than the text because we hadn't studied it. And then Christians, we need to respect the word of God in our everyday lives because we are a walking billboard to our friends and coworkers and other people about what it is to be a Christian. 
Stop compromising. Stop being less than what you're supposed to be. Honor God in your relationships and whatever encounters that you have. Paul then proceeds to say that Scripture is beneficial, it's sufficient. And I give the illustration of Psalms 19 and Psalms 119. I know Psalms 119 is long. But I'm going to give you the homework assignment. Challenge. Read Psalms 119 before you close your eyes tonight. Now, there are about 170 verses in it. That shouldn't scare you. Read it and, and just look at the thinking of the psalmist. Now, Psalms 19 is a whole lot shorter, but it also gives us some valuable principles about how we should view the word of God in our lives. We have lost the high value of scripture because we have tried to justify and excuse what God has called us to. And the people who ought to hold us accountable have been letting us get away with that. I can't preach a sermon just to make you happy. That's not my job as a preacher. My job is to preach what thus saith the Lord in Scripture. And if it cuts some of you, I'm going to give you a Band-Aid. But I'm going to keep on preaching it. Now, yeah, there'll be those, pa those pastors where you just want to shout, hallelujah, oh, this is a great sermon preacher. But there are going to be those that cause you to be quiet. Because it's, everything in it is convicting you. And you need to sit, that was a great sermon preacher. Gave me a lot to think about, and, and I need to do some things in my life. But you don't get mad at me. Now, I need you to understand, when you get mad at me, I, I don't take it personal. Um, what I see is an immature person who does not understand all I'm doing is taking what God has said and making it plain so you can't miss it. That's all I'm doing. But you need to recognize, it started with God. It didn't start with me. I didn't write this. So Paul says, Scripture is good for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Doctrine is just basic teaching. If we want to understand teachings about baptism, salvation, the church, we got to go to Scripture. And we have to understand it based on what God has said about it in his word. Every now and then, every one of us needs to be rebuked. We need to be shown where we have missed the mark, where we have messed up something. You're not perfect, so you're going to mess up every night. And then I know some of you think you're perfect. You breathe perfect breath and all that kind of stuff. But you make a mistake every now and then. And when you're constantly doing that, somebody needs to come along and say, brother, sister, that's wrong. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Now, you need to love that person enough to receive the truth that they're telling you. And that's where the conflict comes along. You can tell mature people when, uh, when somebody's being rebuked. They don't fuss and argue. They listen. And the person comes back and says, you're right. I didn't do it. I shouldn't have done what I did. Um, but that's just where I am now. So pray for me that I can get out of this rut, this state that I'm in. Because all of us can get in a, in a comfort zone where we have built our own righteousness, where we can justify anything we do. And that's why we have to burst that bubble with giving you what the Word of God has to say. He says, correction. It's about restoration. There are folk who have fallen away from God, but who show up at church service every Sunday who think they're right, who think they're worshiping God. And every now and then, we got to walk up to you and say, you're not worshiping God. You've been gone six months. You think you just come into the assembly and everything's going to be okay? You need to make a confession. And I've said this to some people who've done this. You need to stop telling your disobedient children and kinfolk and family members that all they got to do is just come to worship service. They got to get right with God. And they can come and sit in the audience, but they're not worshiping God. And if you grow in your faith, you understand sin separates you from God. And you got to ask God to forgive you. 
And, and if we really are growing in our faith, we understand it's not hard to do. It's what you got to do if you want to get to heaven. Well, God, God knows. God knows you didn't say anything about your sin. That's true. Confession occurs with the mouth. We talk about everything else going on under the sun. But we won't confess and acknowledge when we messed up. Everybody around us can know we messed up. But we'll sit there like, I, you know, invitation to come along. And, and, and I, I'll make a confession, but I'm not because there are too many people in the audience. That shows your low, low value of scripture. See, if you understood, you'd understand everybody in the audience has sinned. So nobody here has the right to be pointing a finger at you. Because they ought to be making a confession too. And so we worry about the people sitting in the audience, but we don't worry about what does God think. He says instruction in righteousness. That has to do with training, bringing up in the training. So part of what happens in the church community is that we have been called to be trained how to be a Christian. We, we, we have been, we're supposed to be trained how to obey God. And when you have a rebellious spirit where you just want to do your own kind of thing, that's difficult for you to submit to somebody else training you, teaching you what the word of God says when you already think you know what it says, even though you're not applying it properly. That's why everybody in, in, in our church ought to be in Bible class. And you ought to be on time when you come to Bible class. The very Bible lesson you miss may be the very one that will help you get to heaven. Oh, well, if I get there for worship, that's just as good. No, it isn't. In Bible class, there's discussion. If something is said by a teacher that doesn't make sense to you, you can ask in that. You can't do that in the worship service. Now, you can ask me after the service is over. But we're not going to stand for too many folks just getting up in the middle of the sermon. Preacher, I got a question. No, I'm going to say, okay, meet me out at the door when service is over. But if you study your Bible, you probably already have the answer to the question you want to ask. You just want to hear what the preacher is going to say about it. So Paul says, verse number 17, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Man of God is just a terminology for preacher. Timothy is a preacher here. He's a preacher at the Church of Christ at Ephesus. And so Paul is writing this to a church leader to help him to understand how he needs to conduct himself in a local congregation, but also writing to help him understand this is what you need to be teaching the people at the local congregation. So it's good for the preacher, but it's also good for every believer. All of us. I don't want to see children that grow up in Christian homes where they're being taught the word of God from birth all the way to whatever age they are. So there's something to, to be said about singing to your baby while he or she is still in the womb, uh, listening to and reading to them, and then continuing that when they come out. Because we'll do that when they inside the mother because we think that's cute and all that kind of stuff. Okay, but the real value it comes when they're in the world. Are you going to have time for that? Are you going to go back to your job and send them to daycare? Mm -hmm. Another one of them quiet moments. He says that the man of God may be complete, adequate, capable for the tasks that we're called to do. So one of the reasons many of us don't know what our spiritual gifts are, because we don't read scripture. We don't, we don't look at the word of God uh, and to be able to get some information that can help us to be able to identify what we have been called to do. Because if you read scripture, it, if you, you will find out where your interests are. And so a brother who wants to be a preacher, you read enough scripture about what a minister is supposed to do. If you know that's not you, that's not your personality, well, you know, I, I don't need to be trying to do any sermons. He says, thoroughly equipped. And the idea there is to be able to meet all the demands of righteousness, all the demands of what God has for us to do. Scripture will equip us so that we can do all that God has asked of us. Scripture will help us, to, first of all, to understand that God gives us the Holy Spirit to be able to do the things he wants us to do. 
We have been failing because we have been doing it in our spirit. Your fleshly spirit, your carnal spirit is not going to help you grow spiritually. We've got to learn how to submit to the Holy Spirit of God and get out of the excuse making business of why we can't do what we're supposed to do. You want to be thoroughly equipped? Read your Bible more. Study it. Submit to what you're reading and studying and stop complaining. Finally, as I conclude, you and I need to learn how to trust Scripture and recognize if we do what God has called us to do, you don't have to doubt, you don't have to worry, you don't have to feel like you're going to lose something. See, one of the reasons many of us don't give as we prosper, we think God won't help us pay our bills. But God is the one who allows you to have the job that you have. Stop spending so much on unnecessary things and you'll have the money to pay your bills. But we get money and we just act like we got to spend it because we got it. No, follow some of the principles that Alex has taught us in the Wednesday night class. Learn how to save some money. Put something aside. Don't chase every sale that's going on. And stop getting caught up in this. Well, uh, buy one and you get one for free. The one you are buying costs as much as two of them together. So that is a trick of the salesman. And some of you, you know, there's advertised stuff, and you don't even need it, but it's at a good price. How many of you, you got stuff that you have purchased that's in your closet, under your bed, so you got the wrappers on it? It was a good idea uh, when the commercial was on there, when you were in the store, but obviously it wasn't that good because you still hadn't done anything with it. Okay, okay. How many of you got new shoes that you bought and they're sitting in the same box and you're trying to wait to find something to wear with them because you, know, you ladies got to match your stuff? Brothers, we don't care a whole lot about that. You, you will buy something on sale because, you know, eventually I'll get an outfit that I can wear with these. So the money you tied up, hoping you're going to find something on sale that you can match with it. Let's learn to trust the scripture, the God of scripture. And then we need to learn to live scripture. So put on scripture in everyday life. Because our Christianity is lived out, again, away from the building. Your Christianity is lived out when you're on your job uh, tomorrow. And folk annoy you, and instead of you keeping your mouth closed, you curse them. You, you failed the test right then. Uh, Christianity is going to be lived out in your house when uh, you need to be spending time with your family and you're choosing to be out doing whatever it is you want to do. Mamas and dads, you need to recognize your children will not be small forever. See, if you neglect them now, there will come a time where they won't want you around them. They want to be with their friends. They want their independence. And you can't now be hugging on them and all that kind of stuff when they're a teenager. That is embarrassing to them. They let you do that when they were small. Okay, grab your, 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 your teenage child in front of their friends and hug on them and stuff like that. And you'll see them pushing away. They're not small babies now. They don't need that from you. That's all about you. It's not about them. Now, when they come and want to get all under you and stuff like that, you need to know they want something. You need to know they want something. When they come being all nice and, and they point out, you know, I cleaned my room out today and I took out the trash and all that, they want something. Because you know that's not how they normally act. We need to learn to live scripture. Recognize that feelings and opinions do not invalidate scripture. So as we're talking to people and they come back, well, you know, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't feel that. I, I think this. Uh, recognize just because they said that doesn't change what the Word of God has to say. It's still the Word of God. That principle is still there. It doesn't change. The Word of God is not going to change for us. There's still just one church that we read about in Scripture. I don't care how many church buildings you see on a street corner. All those churches don't belong to God. And so because people feel like they have worshipped where they were, that doesn't mean it's acceptable worship to God. 
And we all need to recognize that there, there's a word from God for every aspect of your life. If you're a child of God, God cares about you. And he has given us his word to give us guidance on every aspect of our lives. Our problem is we don't read enough, we don't study enough to understand that the very issues you're struggling with, God has already said something about it. And then on top of that, since we don't read it, we don't want to talk to people who have more spiritual insight than we are because they're going to take you back to the scriptures. Yeah. I'm amazed at the number of people who go out find to find folk who will agree with what they're already thinking. So if you got to go to 10 people, you find the, the 11th one is the one that agrees with you. Okay, one person out of all these folk said that. But you want to go with that one. You know why? Because that's what you want to do. Yeah. We already instinctively know from Scripture what's right. But we're trying to find somebody to validate our view on it. Recognize that the Word of God is designed to be a light unto our path. It is designed to open our eyes. It is designed to help us to see some things beyond what we can see. It's it cannot do its job if we don't allow it to. And, and the more we quench the Holy Spirit's operation in our lives, the less we're going to respond to the Word of God. And we're going to find ourselves making some bad choices, some choices that are not going to be healthy for us, and then you're going to have to try and cover that up instead of coming clean and saying, I messed up. Pray for me. We let pride and ego get in the way of us getting the spiritual help that we need. As we seek to grow deeper in our relationship with God, you got to go deeper in the scriptures. Because that's where God is revealed to us in scripture, not in a dream. Because some people, oh, God talked to me last night. Okay, what did you eat last night before you went to bed? <laughs> All of us have dreams and nightmares. And you're trying to decipher what does it mean. God speaks to us. Jesus speaks to us through the scriptures. Not in any dreams. Now, that's not to say your dreams don't have any value. But, but, but that's not how God speaks to us. He speaks to us right here. He's saying the same thing to all of us. So you don't get no private uh, interpretation of anything. <laughs> if God told you that, he ought to be telling the rest of us that. Amen. And since he didn't tell the rest of us that, I question who told you that. Right. God, God spoke to me and told me he's the man I'm going to marry. God spoke to me and told me she's the man I'm going to marry. God spoke to me and told me that's the job for me to, for me to take. God told me that's my car over there. Mm-hmm. Get the car and you can't make the car payments. You, th you think that was God? I think you get the point of the lesson. If you're in the audience today, if you have a statement, you have a prayer request, you have a confession that you may need to make, we're going to give the opportunity right now uh, to make that known as we stand and sing the song of encouragement.